Hello, all you bookworms, and welcome to Oh, for the Love of Books, a show that gives you a bit of narration from the books I read or ones you suggest for me to read on my show. I'm your host, Jessica Vickery, and thank you for joining me on this journey. Here's a short recap of what we know about Ghost Detective by Scott William Carter. Myron is a detective who does work for both the living and the dead. Karen Thorne has come to him for help to find her husband who may or may not have killed her. Myron asked to see a picture of Karen's husband and it turns out it was the person who shot him. Myron was a cop before he was shot. He had a partner, Leisha, who was also his best friend. Myron was in a coma for six months and can't tell who is a ghost or who is living. Medical staff thinks he has lost his mind. Myron finds out Billy is not there because she is dead. Billy seems to be an angry, surly, unhappy person and doesn't want Myron to take the case. But why? Is it because of what he went through? The struggles he endured to get back to a more livable existence? Billy takes a look at the picture Karen gave her and does a double take. Does she know him? She then uses her talent of levitation to create a picture of Anthony Newman so Myron has it, even if he's the only one who could see it. Let's see what the next chapter has in store for us. Chapter 6 The ghosts came in all shapes and sizes, in all manner of dress, at every hour of the day and night. They came when I was sleeping and when I was awake, when I was alone in my hospital room, or when a crowd of doctors clucked and clamored over my chart. They came on good days and bad days and every day in between. It was impossible to say how many because unless they made their nature obvious to me, I could not tell the living from the dead. I could not tell, not even a little, and it was the not knowing that was the worst part of it all. One nurse would take my pulse, her warm fingers on my wrist. The next would come in and reach to pat my arm, only to have her hand pass right through me. Mostly the ghosts were obvious, but harmless. After the priest, a little girl in a deerskin dress and moccasins wandered into my hospital room, asking me if I've seen her ma. When I told her no, she curtsied and walked through the wall. Other times they were less friendly and more strange. A week after emerging from my coma, I woke to a Civil War Confederate soldier in full uniform screaming and pointing a rifle musket in my face. When I yelled at him to leave, he dashed to the open door of my tiny bathroom and dove headfirst into the toilet. I heard him screaming all the way down the sewer pipe. It wasn't long before I was screaming, too. They gave me more Vicodin, then upgraded me to morphine, but it didn't help. If anything, There were more ghosts. I woke up one morning to find a truck driver with glass embedded all over his face in bed next to me. Three young men in heavy parkas and climbing boots rappelled out of the ceiling and straight through the floor, 
shouting about an avalanche. An entire Boy Scout troop. Faces blackened and disfigured from severe burns stood at the edge of the bed and stared silently at me, saying nothing, their eyes full of blame. I remembered them. My first year as a uniform cop, their bus plummeted off an embarkment in the Cascade Mountains. But I wasn't there. I told them that. I wasn't at the scene, not involved. They didn't care. Doctors bustled in and out. There was lots of poking and prodding, lots of questioning. Lots of tests of my mental abilities. I matched cards to words. I played chess. I played memory games. An army of psychiatrists, and I couldn't say how many of them were real, asked lots of questions and nodded at all of my responses. I tried not to say anything about the ghosts. I tried very hard telling myself it was all in my head, that it would pass. I was a rational man. Ghosts were just my subconscious mind's way of dealing with stress of the shooting. Eventually, everything became a continual blur. A smeared watercolor of faces and sounds, day and night, running on a loop. Time passing without any meaning. Alicia, my father, other cops, some of whom I couldn't recognize. I talked to them. I talked to the people with them. And often I got strange looks when I did. Who was I talking to anyway? The hospital blurred into my house with all my books and my French music and no Billy. Where was Billy? And my house swirled and spun and whizzed, lots of crying and screaming to leave me alone. Just leave me be. No more doctors, no more questions, no more therapy. Just leave me be. Leave me be. Leave me be. Myron. It was Billy's voice. Opening my eyes, I found myself on the floor, face pressed against vinyl padding and drenched in my own slobber. Arms pinned under me. I tried to move my arms and couldn't. I rolled onto my back, squinted into the row of fluorescent lights, the room beginning to come into focus. I was in a small room indeed, not more than eight foot square all the walls padded with the same gray vinyl as the floor, a small inset window on the similarly padded door. The reason I couldn't move my arms was that I was wearing some kind of straitjacket. Myron, she said again, over here. It took some doing, but with a groan I managed to rock myself into a sitting position. There she was, not by the door, but crouching in the corner, in gray cargo pants, heavy hiking boots, and a green wool sweatshirt with the collar turned up. Mud smeared her pants and clung to the heavy treads of her boots. Her long black hair lay matted and tangled against the sides of her face, as if she'd been caught out in the rain. She hadn't worn her hair that long in years. Where have you been? I asked. It was the only 
thing I could think to say, and her response was to shrug. I couldn't remember the last time I'd seen her. I remembered somebody saying something about her being gone. But when was that? Pulling any kind of memory out of my addled brain was impossible. And yet I saw both the room and her with vivid clarity. It was like being drunk and sober at the same time. I could have used some help, I added. Sorry, she said, but she didn't sound sorry. She sounded angry. What is this place? An asylum? Kind of, Billy said. I didn't think we had asylums in Oregon anymore. It's a private facility, Shady Grove Care and Treatment Center. It's in Lake Oswego. Nice place, lots of trees. Not far from where your parents lived. Most people come here for drug abuse, I think. Is that why I came here? Think, Myron. You know why you're here. I thought. Nothing came to me. I thought some more. The edge of my memory, like the brush of the bird's wing, fluttered past my mind. I remembered the priest the long, tortured nights in the hospital and strange guests, the intervention led by Alicia and some of the cops to get me to this place. I remember asking for it. I remember them saying I could only go if I volunteered. Are you real? I asked. What do you think? Just answer the fucking question, Billy. It's not the right question. Well, what's the right question, then? The right question is whether I'm alive or dead. I glared at her, biting down on my lower lip, saying nothing. Well, she said, are you going to ask me or what? Why don't you just tell me? I think you already know the answer, Myron. I just didn't know if you knew the right question. Is this a game to you? You abandoned me for, for weeks, for weeks on end, and then you want to show up and play riddles? She sighed. I didn't abandon you, Myron. Yes, you did. You fucking abandoned me. Calm down. You calm down. Look at me. Just look at me. Myron. I'm in a straight jacket, Billy. I'm in the loony bin. I flipped my one long arm and jerked and thrashed about with abandon. My cloth prison felt as if it was shrinking and tightening, squeezing the life out of me. I could barely breathe. The loony bin. If you don't calm down, the nurses will come. Fine, let them come. She shook her head and stared at the floor. Maybe I should go. Maybe this was a mistake. No. I begged. The thought of her leaving again terrified me. Please don't go. I'm dead, Myron. I know, I know. You know I'm dead? Somebody told me. I don't, maybe it was Alicia, or maybe it was your dad. Yeah, he flew in from Maine. My dad passed away eight years ago, Billy said. We went to the funeral. Don't you remember? I stared at her. I did remember. 
I remembered it clearly. A few bits of snow remaining on the grass, the rage in Billy's eyes. How she said she was glad he'd drunk himself to death because now he couldn't hurt anyone anymore, not even himself. But I also remembered her father, rudy-faced and smelling of scotch but perfectly healthy, sitting at my bedside in the hospital explaining that my wife was gone and he'd come out to pay his respects. He'd wanted me to come to the funeral. I'd told him that wouldn't be possible. The conversation had happened. I was sure of it. He was dead too, wasn't he? I said. Billy regarded me the way she might regard a strange insect she'd trapped in a glass jar. You really can't tell us apart, can you? No, I said miserably. Amazing. It's a damn nightmare, that's what it is. You didn't even believe in any of this stuff and now you're forced to live it every day? It's almost cruel. I glanced at her, resenting the careless way she spoke about my condition. If one of us had a cruel streak, it was her. And that wasn't a new quality at all. Why did you kill yourself? I shot at her. Ah, she said, her gaze turning distant. You remember that too. They said you did it with pills. She took a moment to respond, and when she did, her voice grew increasingly soft, trailing into silence. It's a relatively painless way to go. You just fall asleep. Painless, I said. She said nothing. I'm so glad it was painless, I said. She mumbled something. You have to speak up, I said. The acoustics in here aren't that great. It's all the padding. I said I'd explain it if I could. So you're not going to tell me why? She shrugged. What difference does it make now? Are you serious? You decided to commit suicide and you don't even think it would matter to me why? Myron, I think I deserve a reason, Billy. Yeah, well, so do I. What is that supposed to mean? And when she didn't answer, I pressed on. Were you depressed because I was in a coma? I was depressed for lots of reasons. Damn it, Billy. You're not helping here. So sorry to disappoint you, she said. Now she looked at me and it was a hard look, full of blame and anger and who knows what else. A look I'd seen plenty of times in all the years we'd been married and still didn't quite understand. I stared right back, unflinching in my own rage. An orderly, a big black man who I remember said he'd play football at the University of Oregon, glanced through the window at me, then continued on his way. The room was so quiet, I could hear both me and Billy breathing. I wondered about it. The breathing. Why did a ghost need to breathe and how could I possibly hear it? There was so much about this new world I'd inherited that I didn't understand. You could have helped me, I said, if you'd been here in the beginning. The smoldering fire in her eyes softened, not completely, but at least a bit. I'm here now, she said. For good? For as long as you want me. 
So you still love me? She swallowed hard. Yes, she said. You're not just saying that? No, because you know how much I love you. I know. The skin around her eyes quivered, tiny earthquakes, quicksands of the flesh. My own throat grew tight. The dam was about to break, I could tell. We weren't the crying type, either of us, but we've had our moments. I looked away, batting down the emotions, my face warm and tight. I heard the rustle of her cargo pants and the screech of her boots on the padded floor. I looked up to find her standing over me, not quite smiling, but at least not scowling. Gazing at me with those mysterious blue eyes that had gotten me to fall in love with her in the first place. She reached for me, then let her hand fall idly to her side, shaking her head, laughing softly. I almost forgot for a second there. It's okay, I said. I'd help you out if I could. I know you would, I said. I feel really bad for Myron. Being in a private institute with padded walls and a straitjacket and seeing Billy there when he wakes up? Not really understanding what is going on, trying to figure it out? And Billy is not much help at all. She seems to be incapable of answering a question. After Myron finds out she's committed suicide, she can't even tell him why. Or she doesn't want to. What is she hiding? Let's see what next week's chapter has in store for us. Well, that concludes my episode for today. I want to thank you all for taking the time to listen to me talk. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you like my podcast, please subscribe to my show or send me an email to justvicvoice at outlook.com. That's J-E-S-S. V-I-C-V-O-I-C-E at Outlook.com with suggestions of books for me to read on the show. Thank you again and please join me next week on Oh for the Love of Books. And as always, dream big and keep reading. <laughs>